Alex here on the Brandon's World Podcast. Brandon's in sound with good friend of the show, Michael Ryder. They do talk all things NFL free agency, including all the cast of the quarterback position, the NCAA tournament, and WrestleMania 39, as they get into all the spectacular matches that are less than two weeks away. The Brandon's World Podcast starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you already know it is March and we are getting more and more into March, which means everything in the sports world is happening, which means, of course, today on this special edition of Brandon's World, I had to bring back the one, the only, Michael Ryder to the show. Michael, how's it going today? Brandon, I'm excited to be in Brandon's World, of course, once again. Uh, NFL free agency, March Madness, and WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, can you feel the madness? Oh, uh, my goodness. It's incredible. And, you know, before we get to the March Madness, we're going to start off with the NFL free agency, like you mentioned, because things are happening everywhere. It feels like every team is signing players. It feels like mostly every team is trying to get better. But, of course, there's really two to three main stories that the whole NFL world is following. One of them being that Mr. Ayahuasca, number 12, Aaron Rodgers, has formally announced his intention, quote-unquote, to play for the New York Jets next year. Uh, now, I know, Mike, we had this a little bit of conversation uh, when you were on the show about two months ago, and I still, for, for the life of me, uh, do not understand why he would want to go play for the Jets. Uh, I get that the Packer relationship, maybe it has soured. Maybe it feels like in his mind and in Green Bay's mind, it is time to move on. Considering the fact they couldn't even beat the Lions to make the playoffs in the last game of last year's regular season. But it's you're leaving Green Bay to go to a Jets team that on paper, in my opinion, may be a little bit better. But with the competition in the AFC and with these AFC teams getting better, to me, there's no guarantee that the Jets are even a playoff team with Rodgers on their team. Mm-hmm. Well, Brandon, I think it comes down to uh, one thing, really. I mean, it comes down to uh, it comes down to the uh, contract for this guy. I think I read something where if Aaron was to sign with the Jets or be traded to the Jets, he would be paid sixty million dollars. I don't think that any player would want to walk away from 60 mil for at least a year or two. And I think that's what was the deciding factor. Uh, I think that on paper, the New York Jets right now might be the better football team than the Green Bay Packers. I think that was an easy decision. But I think it all came down to that 60 million, uh, whether it be for some sort of time period that he would be receiving, is why Rodgers signed with the New York Jets. Is it going to result in anything? I don't know. Probably not. But I mean, the Bills... The Bills are kind of suspect right now as a playoff team. Uh, Same thing with the Miami Dolphins. We don't know where they're going to go with Tua, really. I mean, they're going to stick Tua out there, but who knows if he can stay healthy. And then the Patriots, who struggle to get offensive pieces. I mean, what a move by the New York Jets, especially if they could pull off the trade where they don't have to give up a lot of their future picks. um, And they could really just, in a weird way, get Rodgers – get Rodgers – in a positive way that isn't a, you know, 
that is kind of a bark, if I would just say that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, at the price of the quarterback position nowadays, um, what is a bargain? You know, like Daniel Jones just got paid $40 million a year from the New York Giants, and nobody even nobody thinks Daniel Jones is an elite quarterback. Uh, but it, it is the market uh, that, that the quarterback position is going. Listen, if, if Tua stays healthy for the Dolphins and with the addition of Jalen Ramsey, and they obviously didn't have any major distractions, I think the Dolphins are now the best team in the East. I understand what people are saying about Buffalo, about, oh, they, they could be suspect. They don't look as formidable as they have been in years past. But the way it stands right now, they still have Stephon Diggs. They still have Josh Allen. They still have a great defense if Von Miller can stay healthy, which is the biggest key for them. Because that was the difference, in my opinion, for Buffalo last year, was they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender until Thanksgiving when Von Miller went down. After that, they couldn't get a pass rush. So if Buffalo gets gets a formidable pass rush, I still think, and I get it, the Jets, they won seven games last year with Mike White, Zach Wilson, and Joe Flacco playing quarterback. So I understand the logic, but I still don't know if you take all three teams and you say all three of these teams are going to be healthy, I would still probably put the Jets third in that division, which is why I don't know how worth it it is because I get it. On paper, the Jets are a little bit maybe a better football team than Green Bay. But in the NFC, you don't have the significant competition. And it is a lot easier of a path to get to the Super Bowl, which at this point in his career should be, in my opinion, the ultimate destination. Right. I can see the Jets as a wild card team. Definitely one of the three wild card teams that are that are in the field. If you remember this, Brandon, they have one of the best young defenses in the NFL. And I think this move clearly. Uh, makes them a contender in the AFC East. And like you said, maybe not better than Miami but uh, or the Bills, uh, but we will see how things with Miami work out. I mean, Miami could get all the defensive pieces they want, but if they don't have a quarterback, they would be in the same boat as yeah. you know, teams like my Steelers, times like uh, teams like the Jets this year, uh, where if you struggle to – or if you're developing to find that guy at the quarterback possession, that might be hard, even if you have a strong defense. This has this team has a strong defense with one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So as long as he commits, I see the Jets as kind of a shoe and wild card team at best. Well, can I ask you this? Because this is the other thing I was thinking about. Right? Is we obviously know it's more than likely Kansas City is going to win the the uh, AFC West. Obviously, I think Cincinnati should be the favorite in the North. But, you know, depending on what Baltimore does with Lamar Jackson, depending on what Cleveland, how they do with Deshaun Watson, your Steelers are going to always be a threat in that mix in the AFC. Denver, we'll see what Sean Payton and Russell Wilson cook up with if Sean Payton can get Russell Wilson back to that level. Um, you know, I don't think any of us really expect Vegas to be a playoff team. But listen, even though they turned away Darren Waller, they still got good weapons. And if Jimmy Garoppolo stays healthy, that's not a pushover team. I guess my point is, and then New England always has Belichick, they're going to win games. My point is, like, find me a bad team in the AFC. Like, Tennessee on paper does not look great, but they still have Ray Wolf for now. They still have Derrick Henry. They might not have a great passing game, and I don't think they're a great team, but they seem to always win games. 
Uh, Houston, we'll see what they do at the quarterback position in the draft, but they've certainly spent a lot of money. I think they're going to be better with whatever quarterback they've taken than what they've been in years past. And same thing with, with Indianapolis, who has a great offensive line and a great run game. So I, I'm i just saying I don't think the Jets are a lot to be a playoff team next year, Rodgers or not. Right. It's a really deep AFC, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the quarterback position. And I feel like the teams with the quarterbacks – are going to rise to the top. I agree with you. Now, next question. Speaking of quarterbacks, gut feeling, Michael Reiner, if I were to presumably put a gun to your head and say, week one of the 2023 NFL season, Lamar Jackson is starting where? I think this is interesting. I see... I think I see as far as a team that's open on the quarterback market. I mean, there aren't really that many. I think that all the teams have pretty much decided who's going to be their guy in the center. I can honestly see him sitting out this season and just not not signing with another team, not being traded to another team. I mean, there are certain teams that stand out as particular destinations, but coaching staffs that don't particularly want the distraction. Um, especially when you look at teams in the NFC North, Minnesota comes to mind, Detroit comes to mind. But a guy like Dan Campbell has really got to believe in Lamar Jackson, and you got to give up some draft capital Capital, sorry, that uh, Detroit has to get him. Uh, so I don't think they want to do that and take a chance on an injured guy. The only situation that I see that could be a real, um, a real amazing move is if Minnesota decides, okay, We want to trade some picks, and we want to get Lamar Jackson. We want to give him an opportunity to be able to sit back in the pocket. And and then from there, have that elite wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, that he's never had. Now, will they be able to do that? Will the Ravens take their picks? We don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are knocking on the door. I think the Redskins actually just – or I'm sorry, the Commanders actually just signed a quarterback themselves. So I think – it's going to be interesting to see, but if I was a betting person, I would say uh, Lamar Jackson would not be playing anywhere and he'll sit on the sidelines. That's um, interesting. So I have a couple follow questions to ask you on that. The first one I have is I'm interested. You said Detroit because from my perspective, and I have never been the biggest Jared Goff fan. I don't think he can play well outdoors in the snow and cold weather, but Detroit is a dome team. They do play, you know, if you can go in their nine or eight home games, whichever year the AFC, NFC gets the extra home game, plus the game at, at Minnesota, you're playing over half your games in a warm weather climate. Uh, obviously, in the playoffs, you have to go outdoors. But we've seen golf last year in Green Bay go outdoors. We mentioned in the last game, the regular season, outdoor Aaron Rodgers. I think Jared Goff's a pretty good quarterback in that Detroit system. I think that they have a lot of weapons. And that's a team where, like, I don't know if I want to move off golf, and as special as I think Lamar Jackson personally is, I don't know if I'd be willing to move off golf and change my whole offense in that situation for Lamar Jackson. Right, but I mean, the more and more this guy gets injured, the less he's going to be running with the football, and the more he's going to have to throw it to elite wide receivers. Detroit has a ton of weapons. They're probably the favorite in the NFC North, and they're very solid. Um, I mean, Minnesota's great on offense, but their defense is a lot to be desired. The more and more Detroit uh, looks like an option to me. 
but Minnesota could be as well. I just when I look at that NFC North, there's not a lot of competition. So if he was going to leave Baltimore, I think that's the way to do it. Baffles me that the Ravens have not paid him yet, but such is life. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it baffles me too. And I know we talked about this last time too. You know my feelings on it. I think you know. I know your feelings on it. Uh, I would have paid him already if I was Baltimore. I'm kind of shocked they haven't. Uh, but to me, I I do believe this year, week one, he is starting for the Baltimore Ravens. I think some way, somehow it gets done. Uh, I think if there was a team really interested in him, they would have offered him the money. Obviously, Baltimore gave him that restricted uh, tender tag where he can go on and negotiate. Baltimore would have an opportunity to match. Uh, and Baltimore is basically telling him, test the market. And from what we've seen so far, there hasn't been a ton of market. The one team that I thought could be an option that I don't think you have mentioned yet is Atlanta. Um, being down in that South, obviously they had Marcus Mariota last year, mobile quarterback. Desmond Ritter does not look to be the answer. Uh, Drake London looked pretty good as a receiver. Kyle Pitts, pretty good tight end. They need a couple more, more weapons. And they need to rebuild their defense, which they're starting to do with Jesse Bates, obviously, that safety position that they added in the offseason. But to me, Lamar Jackson, I believe, is, you know, close from, from that Georgia-Florida area, grew up down south. Uh, Atlanta, to me, if he was going to leave Baltimore, makes the most sense, though I do really like that Minnesota option you gave because we both know Kirk Cousins will win you regular season games, not so much playoff games. Well, and Jackson doesn't have the best postseason record either, but I like your move with Atlanta. I think that's a very strong move, and it would be fun to see him go up with Derek Carr and who else, whoever the Panthers take of the number one overall pick. Uh, so I'm interested to see where he goes nonetheless. That was going to be my next question, Michael. You read my mind, this trade between the Panthers and the Bears. The Bears obviously giving up the number one pick Along with they get DJ Moore as an absolute wide receiver and draft picks. I thought the Bears did a phenomenal job. I didn't think they'd get as much for that number one pick as they did. Uh, and now, look, they have spent a lot of money on the defense side of the ball. They spent a little bit more money on offense. I think they need to go get some offensive linemen. Um, but Chicago, you know, we talk about Green Bay not being as great. Minnesota won a lot of one-possession games last year, so I think they're going to be a little bit of a pushback. Still good, not as good as they were a year ago. Uh, Detroit, we talked about, is coming up and up. But if Chicago hits this draft, if they hit a couple of their missing pieces, and Justin Fields does go into that second, third-year lead that we've seen guys recently like Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen do, the Bears are in prime position, in my opinion, if they hit this draft to be formidable in the next year or two. And I really love what they did to supply Justin Fields with some weapons offensively. I really like the trade for the Bears here. They were able to get a, a wide receiver that they desperately, desperately coveted uh, in DJ Moore. And they were also to get picks off of that uh, specially. Um, and when I think about the biggest need for them, probably offensive line, I think of Paris Johnson, the best offensive lineman in this draft at left tackle. Uh, this solidifies them, makes them stronger. And then from there, they could go on the defensive end because their defense was worse, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. But this is what you do. You have that star quarterback in Justin Fields. Don't go off of him. The guy can play and then build pieces around him. Love the move for the Bears. I mean, 
whoever Carolina picks, whether it be Stroud, whether it be Young, they better be the guy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, especially with no Christian McCaffrey. You got to think that they're going to struggle to get weapons. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, they they just had Aiden Hurst as a nice tight end. I'm surprised from Carolina's perspective they were willing to give up DJ Moore. I would have thought give up a couple defensive pieces, maybe a Jeremy Chin, a Brian Burns. Uh, that would be the one guy that I wouldn't have gave up because that's your one original weapon. I do like, you know, Chuba Hubbard as a back. Um, I, I think Deontay Foreman actually just got paid by Chicago, so he's no longer there. But I... You know, Carolina's offensive line, they're okay. I'm very intrigued to see who they go with, whether it's Bryce Young, who's obviously got a smaller frame, but he seems like he can be a very special quarterback. C.J. Stroud is the more prototype quarterback, though I worry about him because his receivers at Ohio State were open by so many yards, you don't know if he can throw into tight windows. Uh, Will, Will Levis, I think it's a little bit of a project in Kentucky. Not so sure. I haven't done as much tape study on him yet. And then Anthony Richardson, from what I understand, is the wild card. Very 6'5", prototypical quarterback, but didn't have a lot of starts. Very Josh Allen-like concerns coming into the draft about his accuracy. Uh, so I wonder here, like, if you're the number one pick, I don't know if I'm taking that big of a swing on a guy like Anthony Richardson, who has very high upside potentially, but also has real potential of not being a legitimate quarterback, where it almost feels like C.J. Stroud is the safe pick because of the fact that he is less likely to get hurt than Bryce Young just because of his size. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree, Brandon. It seems like Panthers might be fighting off a little more than they can chew, but we'll have to see. Um, It could all pay off. So just – you know, to kind of wrap this up, uh, this NFL portion, Mike, you know, I know obviously your Steelers side guard, Isaac Samao from the Eagles yesterday, great guard. You guys got a really great guard to, to solidify your offensive line. Uh, but outside of that, you know, was there any team or any moves that we haven't talked about that you say, oh, that's a really good move. This team is improving. Uh, this team's going to be better than what they were last year. And then on the opposite of that, is there a team that you think, you know, has not brought in a lot of free agents, uh, has lost a lot of pieces that you think, oh, they were a playoff team maybe last year that maybe is getting worse or not as improved as they were last year? When I think of the team that I think has had a low-key, strong uh, off season. I think of a team that's in my division, it's the Cleveland Browns. Um, they brought in several pieces, including uh, that defensive lineman from Minnesota, as well as one Thornhill. I think he's been a corner for Kansas City the past few years. They restructured Watson's contract, and it's paid dividends. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens with Cleveland this year. One full season with Deshaun Watson – uh, are they going to rely on the run or are they going to take pressure off him with Nick Chubb? I think that's the key to their success this year. If they're able to use the uh, use the run game to their advantage, I think it will be a good season for the Browns. Maybe playoff team, maybe not, but it will all depend on number four, honestly, in his, uh, in his game shape. Moving on, though, I think a team that has not brought in certain players that is going to have a tough time adjusting to the new um, free agent signings 
is uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I think that they're a team that uh, I haven't seen them bring anybody to help their wide receiver group. Um, it's a team that's continuing to get older and older, uh, especially with Dak Prescott. I think they lost Dalton Schultz as well. Um, are they going to be able to replicate replicate the team that they had last year? I don't know. It seems like the Giants have gotten better. It seems like the Eagles continue to get better, and they're only going to get better. Um, but after that, I think that another team I look at that might struggle is the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they lost Hayden Hurst. Who knows what's going to happen with Joe Mixon? Um, I saw that he um, – uh, the more and more things come out about him, yeah. they, don't, they don't look good. Um, I mean, it could be a situation where he might be disciplined by the league. I don't exactly know the rules on that. Uh, but uh, Cincinnati lost Jesse Bates. They lost Hayden Hurst. They lost Vaughn Bell. Keys to that team, if uh, Anna Rumo can find more defensive players, he will. But who knows? Maybe they might be struggling out of the gate like they did last year. Um, so, since- well, can I ask you real quick? Did you see the move that Dallas made this morning? Oh, no, no, I didn't. They have acquired Brandon Cooks from the Houston Texans for a fifth and a sixth round pick. So they well, see, have- I, see, I don't like that move either. I mean, what's really, I mean, is, did he have 1,000 yards this year? See, um, I, I don't know that all the time I have, but I'm going to tell you, I actually like that move for Dallas. Obviously, they, they lost Noah Brown, their second receiver. Uh, CD is the number one, but they needed the number two, and Cooks will outstretch the field. I actually really like the addition of Gilmore, too, at the, at the defensive backs. Uh, and I think he, obviously, Diggs will provide them with the second corner that you need. So I as much as I hate to say it as an Eagles fan, Mike, I think Dallas is actually the second best team in the NFC, right behind Philly. I really do. I mean, I think San Francisco, who knows what they're going to be at the quarterback position, uh, whether it's going to be Purdy, whether it's going to be Lance. They signed Sam Darnold. There's a lot of injury history there. And I think if Dallas, obviously they lost Zeke, but I don't think you need two running backs. Tony Pollard was clearly the better back. Like, I think Dallas is really good, and I think they are the second best team in the NFC. So you think they're better than the New York Giants? The New York Giants have just traded for an elite tight end with third round pick. I do, but that but that's all they have. I mean, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, who's had one great year last year, he's gonna be hurt again more than likely at that running back position. Uh I don't buy the Giants. I don't. I I don't care that they got Waller. I think it's one legitimate weapon. I think it will help. Uh but I, I think they're okay. I think they're decent, but I don't think they're overall better than Dallas. Mm, interesting. I Dramatic actually point. like Washington. The crazy thing is, if that Sam Howe can play, I actually like Washington. I think the addition of the enemy will help offensively. I think they have a great re- receiving that in, in McCorn. They they have Curtis Samuel. They have a few other guys as well. Uh, their offensive line needs a little bit of work, so that is the one concern of the team. Obviously, me and you know this. You need a good offensive line but they have a good defensive line their defense was good last year they literally just need competent play at the quarterback position and i think they could be better than the giants to be honest with you yeah but as we know the nfc east is always unpredictable yes it is um and so moving on the ncaa tournament mike i know we're not going to spend a lot of time because i do want to spend a lot of time on wrestlemania 39 which goes hollywood in approximately 13 days from this recording uh, but, you know, I said, Mike, going into the tournament, I knew there were going to be a lot of upsets this year because there's not a ton 
of top five, you know, obviously potential draft picks. Most of them this year are overseas or in the G League. Uh, there wasn't a dominant team this year in college basketball like there has been years past. I thought there was real potential for Kansas to go down, Arizona to go down. I thought Purdue was going to go down early, though not necessarily to uh, FDU. But just sort of your thoughts on the whole NCAA tournament. Did you expect this sort of, I guess, more upsets than usual from the top teams this year? Yes, and then I'll tell you why. Because it seemed like the committee was more based on record than the way teams performed in the tournament. When you look at the teams that have been upset, at least the number one so far, Purdue and Kansas. They're two teams that struggled in the tournament, albeit Purdue won their conference in the Big Ten. Kansas lost to Texas in the Big 12 by a lot. And I think those two teams, they struggled to get out of their own conference tournament, and that doesn't bode well uh, for the early rounds. So who who was your final four? Because I'll tell you, all four of my final teams are still in. All four of your final teams? Okay. From what I have, I had... Um, I had Alabama, I have Marquette, I have Xavier, and I have uh, I had Kansas, but they went down. Okay, I I I like that. So I had Bama, Houston, Kansas State, and UConn. Uh, those were my final four. I had Alabama meeting Houston in the national championship with Alabama, eventually winning. Obviously, the the Brandon Miller situation, we don't know what's really happening. Uh, with that situation, if he's going to be able to play the whole tournament or not. But Alabama has dudes uh, outside of, you know, there's, we mentioned there hasn't been a great team. Probably the best team all year has been Alabama. But I got to tell you, your team's like, you know, um, Marquette, I, I, I really liked. I thought they had a good, decent chance. There were some upset teams that I thought had a good chance as well. And uh, Oral Roberts and Memphis, who both went out in the first round. So, it's very hard to predict the NCAA tournament, but I think the balance of it is what's making it really exciting because these aren't really quote-unquote upsets. When you take a look at how you mentioned teams like uh, Arizona, Kansas, uh, Purdue played in the conference tournament, they got higher seeding than what they should have done. Reminds me a lot of North Carolina last year who was an eight seed and probably should have been like a three or a four seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, but when you get teams of juniors and seniors, veterans, they cause trouble for the younger teams. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Well, here we go. We're 13 days away from WrestleMania 39. WrestleMania is going Hollywood this year. The two-night extravaganza, April 1st, April 2nd, streaming live only on Peacock. Mike, I got to tell you, I know we talked a little bit before we came on the air, but I agree with your sentiment. There is not a ton that I'm not looking forward to at this year's WrestleMania. And I think one of the things that I've noticed over the past couple of weeks is this year it feels like more than ever, maybe in the last couple of years, I should say, there are storylines such as, you know, Ray and Dominic Mysterio, uh, Edge and Finn Bell on the Judgment Day, the whole Bailey uh, damage control Becky Lynch storyline. Uh, the Sami Zayn, Usos, Kevin Owens storyline that we've talked about at nauseum. These are storylines that have really been building since the summer and, and early fall. 
and they feel like they're cultivating at WrestleMania, where in years past it felt like a lot of the stories just started maybe right after the Rumble or right after Elimination Chamber. So it's giving me, as a fan, in my opinion, a lot more to look forward to because these are stories that feel like they're going to finally end and cultivate at the biggest show of the year. Right, and the good thing about this booking that's been that they've been showing us, Brandon, is that you can't really call who's going to win any of these matches, and I think it's super interesting when you're in a position where you can keep people guessing, especially in today's age with Twitter and things like that. Uh, it's powerful. I think that the majority of the matches, and I've been watching pretty much every week, I can't call and tell you who's going to win basically any of them, and I think that's the secret sauce to a great wrestling show two great storylines and I'm really looking forward to everything on the card buddy and everything I think from the top to bottom has been great I think that the best move was to put Cody Rose in the main event of Wrestlemania I mean think about it Brandon you're thinking about two guys Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes they were like the leaders of the COVID era in their respective companies and now it's like they're coming together and having this big match so now we're out of the we're out of COVID we're on to running bigger arenas now. And, you know, now they're going to run the biggest arena and the largest arena probably that they could in SoFi Stadium uh, in Inglewood. And it's going to be a wonderful night. And I, uh, I'm i just really looking forward to it. I think especially one thing that hasn't been announced that probably won't be announced, I'm looking forward to seeing what my guy L.A. Knight's doing. Yes, L.A. Knight. What's he, what's he going to do? Uh, because – I mean, I know that he's been deeply inspired by guys like Stone Cold and The Rock. I mean, everything from this guy's delivery on the mic to, you know, the way that he works in the ring. He's very much Austin or The Rock as more more of our friend Dwayne. So, I mean, it would be a great way for The Rock to promote um, the XFL and so forth is yeah. by, by showing up on the WrestleMania stage with a jersey on with that 90 uh, – I think you used to wear either the number 94 or 97. So rep that, got a promo on LA night, and I lay him out with the people's elbow. That's so, kind of what it So, Mike, I'm 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 sorry to interrupt, but, you know, we talked at the Rumble time about we both kind of thought Rock was coming back. Uh, it was going to be Rock and Roman at Mania. Obviously, that did not happen. They did the turn on Sami Zayn that night, which was – Oh my God, the, the the greatest television I ever saw at 12.15 in the morning in my life. Uh, I, I obviously have a house full of family trying to be as quiet as I could while also screaming in my mind like, oh my God, this is actually happening. Uh, and now here we are, Roman, Cody, main event, WrestleMania 39. A lot of the internet fans and wrestling fans out there seem like it's a foregone conclusion that Cody's going to win this match. And I agree with you. I I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, and I I am leaning towards picking Roman to actually retain the championship for two reasons. Number one, I think you've gotten this close to being a thousand days as champion. I think you have to do it because I think for Reigns to pass Hulk Hogan means something. And I don't think we're ever going to get this chance to do it again. And I think it's about time that we have Reigns move as close to, obviously he's not going to reach Bob Backlund or Bruno San Martino, uh, but for him to be as close to that number as possible. And then number two, like, and I've been telling people this, and I told you this, I think a little bit, is I don't know the direction 
of Roman's character after WrestleMania if he were to lose the championship. The one thing I do know is Cody Rhodes is undefeated since he came back to WWE. And you can build the story of Cody not being able to take down Roman the first time and him spending a year to get stronger and stronger and to come back and to be hungry to finally, eventually take down Roman Reigns, potentially at next year, WrestleMania 40 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I like that, but don't forget about that. Don't forget about this, Brandon. You kind of took it out of my mouth. But also, one thing you got to think about, I mean, you could really have realistically, I mean, after WrestleMania, you could realistically have, you know, over the course of the next year, another number one contender at the belt, Sami Zayn, or, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the NXT championship. Ron Breaker, you got to think that he's been in NXT for quite a long time. That's true. Uh, since the relaunch in September of 21, not just September 22, September of 21. Who knows if he's going to be called up? Who's no, who knows if over the course of that year, they're going to build him as legitimate. It's going to be interesting, though, because by the sounds of things, they might they might try to break up the championships, but I don't think that's a smart move. I think that the best move right now is to keep the belt on Roman. I agree with you. Usually we don't agree on things, but I just believe that um, I understand that you would want to put the belts on Cody to keep him hot, and that might kill his push, but I don't think it does. I mean, this was a guy that really, um, through the first months of AEW, really was the book one of the most captivating characters on that show. I don't think he necessarily needs a championship to succeed. It kind of reminds me of his father because he rarely won championships and he still is regarded as one of the greatest performers ever, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So if you look at it from that perspective, just being in the main event of WrestleMania in this moment, I mean, I think a lot of people, I know that when I went to Niles in July of 2017 to watch Cody Rhodes, that I wouldn't have imagined him getting to the main event of WrestleMania, one of the biggest WrestleManias ever, so quickly. So I think Roman Reigns, if I was a betting man right now, I'd put my money on Roman Reigns to retain. And who knows, maybe even the next month um, in Puerto Rico um, or a month later at that, the King of the, King of the Ring show um, in Saudi Arabia, maybe they pull the trigger then. But that's the interesting part about it, Brandon, is that the longer you keep the belt on Roman, the longer that you build suspense. Is it going to be Cody Rhodes? Is it going to be Sami Zayn? Is it going to be Braun Breaker? I think you basically have another year of storytelling here with this bloodline thing. I don't think it's time to end it at all. So can I ask you, because I like my good friend Joey Schneider, who's a huge wrestling fan, pitched this to me last week on the show, and I'm very intrigued by it, and I'm going to ask you about it. He pitched, Reigns loses to Cody, but the Usos retain against Sammy and Kevin. And the bloodline dynamic changes because now Roman, the head of the table, doesn't have the championships, but the Usos do have the championships, and they become, quote-unquote, the head of the table. I thought it was a very interesting pitch. That's a very interesting pitch, but I think um, when I think about power, and I think about, you know, if you're going to make the Usos baby faces, you know, I think that you've got to have the reign of reigns sort of just 
um, tower over them. And I think the way that they could tower over them is, you know, if if Zayn and Owens end up getting the titles on night one, then it's like the Usos have to work their way back into their good graces with Roman. Um, and I think that if you're going to do that, if you're going to make the Usos sympathetic, you have to have them lose the championship, if that makes sense. Um, so I think, one, I think it's... I think it very well could be a strong weekend for the bloodline. I think that everyone in the faction can retain, but I think it would be great for night one. If Zane and Owens uh, win the titles off of them and that streak. And then through there, there's so many tag teams that are available um, that could eventually dethrone uh, Owens and Zane from there. I believe I've been watching the Creed brothers a little bit here and there on NXT strong tag team, uh, physical, you know, bring them up and then maybe have them feud with Zane and Owens. But I think that, you know, one thing that we got to remind ourselves is no matter what happens on Saturday, April 2nd, April 1st, and Sunday, April 2nd, the Bloodline storyline with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes and all these people in the Usos is not over. There's still time to build. And I think that if I was, if I was betting on anything, I would say, Owens and Zayn win the tag titles night one, and then there's some cracks in the bloodline. Everybody thinks, wow, Roman might be losing it, but he digs deep, and he figures out a way to beat Rhodes on night two. Let me ask you this. I would book Owens and Zayn versus the Usos to main event night one. It sounds like that's not the direction they're going. It sounds like it's going to be show and Rhea Ripley for the SmackDown Women's Championship, which that brought SmackDown Friday night is absolutely what they needed to get me a little bit more involved in their feud because uh, it was a little whackwasher, in my opinion, to that point. Uh, but but your thoughts on sort of that, the main event of night one, and then how you sort of split up the card then between night one and night two? Well, if I'm going to split the card between night one and night two, the most captivating storyline in all of wrestling right now is the bloodline, right? Yep. And those two matches, they they are one and the same. So for that show to end on a high note is important, Brandon. But like I was saying, if they have plans to make the fans happy and to put the belts on Zayn and Owens, it's not really in their best interest to do that at the end of the show. Um, I think it's because, you know, to really build Roman's uh, desperation, I mean, it would be in the middle of, it would be, you know, backstage clamoring for them. Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why did you lose? You know, and I just, for, for whatever reason, it would be hard for them to duplicate, um, to, I guess, duplicate a scenario like they did at the Royal Rumble. And it's going to come down to a lot of different factors. But I think, I don't think they've really decided on who's going to win this tag match. This is probably the toughest one for me to call Usos and uh, Usos and Owens and Zane. Um, but if it's suddenly decided to make it the main event of night one, something big is going to happen to make us, to make us think there could be more cracks and more cracks. But um, like I was saying, um, it really is going to come down to what hot angle they want to put at the end of the show. Um Right now, they're saying Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, but they could change that day of. And for me, I see Charlotte, who's better typically as a heel, and Rhea Ripley, who's kind of wrapped up in her own storyline with Rey Mysterio. So I think that right now, I mean, 
Right now it says Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair, but that's all rumors. That's not necessarily true. And and I could just see it being switched at the end of the night and some hot angle really happening. You know, Roman realizing, oh, he's losing trust in the bloodline. What's going to happen? Oh, my gosh. And he's that strong enough and that great enough to have another WrestleMania moment and win it the next night. So I think the best call is to make the tag team match main event night one, builds the legitimacy of the tag titles. But at the end of the day, it depends on how they want to tell the story. Do they want to tell the story in the back or do they want to tell the story up front? And if they do it earlier in the show where Owens and Zayn win the tag titles, there might be something backstage where something truly develops. But I think the people are clamoring so much for this storyline that it makes absolute sense to put it in main event night one. You know, Cena Theory, Edge Finn Bauer, uh, the the two women's championship matches, um, you know, Brock and Amos. We don't know what's happening with, with Bobby Wassley and Bray Wyatt, which is turning into a very interesting development. But I think that those matches, like I think you split up the women's matches uh, each one night for the championships. I think you sort of need to split Edge and Cena just to create that Legend, if you will, star power, split them up one night each. Uh, I think you could split Wesner and Amos and Bray and Bobby if that ends up happening in in each of the one nights. And so I think we are getting, in my opinion, at least a very balanced car. Right? I think there's a real opportunity where you can tell each story on a given night. The one match that I'm not sure of where goes where is Ray and Dominic. Because uh, that story is so hot. Do you put that on the same night as Rhea and potentially Finn and Edge? Do you have the Judgment Day all in one night? Do you split it up where Dom goes the first night maybe and then Rhea focuses on her own the second night or vice versa? How would you book that? This is interesting, Brandon. I think you make the Hell in a Cell match on night one. I think you need a particular spectacle to get your casual fan in there and i think that that's why they're pulling the trigger with this hell in a cell match love the move because really you're wanting to get your casual fan to watch the show put it on saturday night people have an attraction to seeing hell in a cell matches love that move on night one and then if we're going to do something for um something for the next night i think you put um, I think it sounds like Rhea and Charlotte is going to be on night one. So I'll keep that there. Um, and then from there, I would put Ray and Dominic on night two. It's very invested. I think you could make a career versus um, basically where um, if Ray loses, he would have to lose the mask and must retire. Um, and I believe that Ray Mysterio will beat his son in the end. And I think they would be able to hug it out, you know, and um then Monday on Raw, they go back to Dominic being a heel. I don't know how they want to do it, but I see a career-threatening match in Ray's future with Dominic, and I don't see him retiring. I see Ray pulling it out because he's got more gas in the tank. And you can continue to build with the story because Dominic has tons of legs, tons of uh, wiggle room in this. Can he go to, to a new brand after a WWE draft and feud with different wrestlers? I mean, what's that look like? Um, I just... I see a career-threatening situation, but Ray pulling it out. Now, I, see, I see that happening on night two. Mike, I've been very interested with this whole 
Ray Mysterio going into the Hall of Fame because I was trying to think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there has been a situation. Obviously, we've had active wrestlers who are semi-retired come back, like Goldberg in the Hall of Fame, uh, and these wrestlers that have, you know, like Ric Flair, went in the Hall of Fame, wrestled his last match uh, the next night. But I don't recall ever having an active wrestler like Rey Mysterio going into the Hall of Fame and then continuing his career as a full-time superstar. I think it's very unique, and I think it's actually helped the story with him and Dom. I think this is the first time that a non-part-time performer has been going in without a retirement. That's what I was going to say, yeah. A non-part-time performer. Because if you remember, Hulk Hogan went in in 2005, but then had matches after that as a part-time wrestler. Uh, uh, And then from there, Ric Flair went in um, as technically an active performer, but they were building to his retirement. I don't see that happening. I think it just goes to show that Rey Mysterio, he's in that same, you know, he's in a class all to his own. When you think about the most popular, um, when you think about the most popular uh, Latino or Mexican-American wrestlers that have ever lived, he is the most popular guy. There is no, there's no one that's been on his level and probably will ever be again. So I think it's a worthy honor, especially if you couldn't get Batista for the ceremony. Remains to be seen. They could still have, Batista in there um, who knows what's going to happen I think though it's fun to um, it's fun to see the classes build off of location so um, two years ago during the um, two years ago during the um, COVID induction it was the NWO and Hulk Hogan going in in Tampa Florida um, the year after that it was Taker going in in Dallas, and now we have Rey Mysterio going in in California, L.A., close to San Diego. And then if you look at the following year, looks like Taylor made for probably the greatest uh, modern-day manager of all time, uh, the greatest manager of modern times, Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman. In Philly, as, yeah. a, as the first ballot, first-time Hall of Famer, uh, probably the most important guy on that card. So the Hall of Fame always interests me. It's probably – the most fun part of the year for me is seeing who goes in the hall of fame and seeing who needs to go in the hall of fame after that. I, I like Greg Muda going in, uh, just retired over in Japan this year, uh, over, um, I think the month after wrestle kingdom, they did a show either they did it during wrestle kingdom and then they did it the following month. I think it's a guy that greatly deserves to go in the hall of fame, especially with his classes, classics with, Steamboat, Flair. Uh, I also hear McFoley's going to induct somebody, so I'm interested to see who goes in from his side uh, if he's going to induct someone. It's going to be so much fun, but I see Ray pulling it out and not retiring and continuing to stay an active performer week to week because the guy draws. He builds the house show business, and I think it would be wrong to take him off um, unless injuries continue to persist. And in that case, he might just want to be done. He's done it for 30 years. He's one of the most deserving Hall of Famers ever, and I'm glad to see him go in. I agree. Now, Mike, this is a very tricky situation for me because as much as I want to see it happen, I don't think it's going to happen. But would you give one of the GOATs, the 16-time world champion, John Cena, one more run, even if it's for a day, as the United States champion? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I don't see a scenario where 
I mean, that's probably my easiest one to call. Uh, it would be tough to uh, have Austin Theory win clean in this situation solely because he's a young guy. He's been in desperate storylines where he's been desperate to grab that brass ring with the money in the bank, and they haven't pulled the trigger. Um, and they've had him – I think they squandered that with the money in the bank. Interviewed Austin Theory a couple weeks ago for WKBN. Super guy. Uh, they just I, I did see that. You did a great job on that. I, I'm going to take you tell you, but great job on that, Mike. Thanks, man. It was just, it was a great interview. He's an awesome guy. Uh, he's the future of this business, but I think it's just not today. I think if you're Cena, I think that he's there to win the U.S. championship one more time. He's going to issue an open challenge for the next night on Raw, and I think he's going to lose it to a debuting, a debuting performer on NXT from NXT or somebody new who's recently in talks with them, maybe like a Jay White, uh, somebody like that. Um, and I think that would be a great way to put over somebody else. But um, I think a strong match with Cena and Austin Theory doesn't necessarily hurt Theory, though. Um, I think that he's not some guy that's going to take that much of a hit. I mean, you're going up against one of the top 10 all-time greatest wrestlers. I mean, and all-time greatest superstars ever in John Cena. I think being in that situation, like he, like Theory told me, he said it would be a dream come true for him. Yep. Uh, and help his journey come full circle. And I think that's not necessarily burying a performer. It's great for him to be on that level. That's the same way I feel about Brock Lesnar and Omos. Sometimes it's time for the veterans to give back and just being in the ring with somebody that's a lot younger and a lot less polished could help them in the long run. I mean, years and years we've seen, you know, guys like Booker T and Edge square off, you know, guys like Jericho, William Regal square off in the mid card of these mania cards. And you're like, what? You're like, why would why was this put together? Just two big dudes? I don't think that's the case. I think Lesnar is in a way doing business on the way out when a lot of people, you know, wouldn't think that of him. Same thing with Cena. I think Cena wins the US title. I think that's about the one I'm most secure in. I don't know about you, but so the, the one I'm most confident for sure, I think, is Asuka's going to be Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, I think that's the one I'm really the most strong about. I don't know about Cena in theory, because I think there's a possibility where maybe Cena doesn't want to win the title and they give Theory a huge rub and come on as a huge EO being a dickhead, basically, about how he beats Cena and he's the greatest this and he's the greatest that. Uh, Bianca and... Oscar's probably my biggest lock. My second biggest, I do think, to your point, Brock Lesnar, I believe, is going to actually beat Amos with an F5. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was put on the card to be a spectacle. Uh, I don't know how the hell Lesnar's going to be able to get that giant up. Uh, and a lot of people are against it, and I'm fine with it. I totally get the reason why they did it. But I'm very interested. So you think... This is going to be Brock Lesnar's last WWE match. Am I hearing you correctly? I don't think it's going to be. It may not be his last match because we all know Saudi Arabia comes in. But um, I think that just him taking a position on the mid card for this show is major for him. I mean, this is probably the middle of the card. I mean, really, the guy's never really been on the middle of the card if we're thinking about it. He's always either been in the championship match or the 1A match. I mean, if we go through Lesnar's WrestleMania's first WrestleMania, he won the world championship in 03. And then he was in that huge match with Goldberg. And then from there, 
He wasn't at a lot of WrestleManias up until 2013. Triple H breaking the Undertaker streak. Championship match in 15. Yeah. Middle match in Ambrose with 16. So right there, I mean, we've been. It's been like seven years. Yeah. Since, since Lesnar's been in a match where he's faced a younger performer. Ever since then, he's really been in the main event um, for the most part, or been in a championship. Yeah. I mean, Goldberg, Reigns, Rollins, uh, but but that was a championship match. McIntyre was obviously a championship match. Uh, and then why is with Reigns again? So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, okay, so this Bray Wyatt situation, Mike, what do we think of it? Is 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 the match going to happen? I mean, are we going to get Lashley and Wyatt? Is Lashley going to do an open challenge? Is, well, what's happening with this? I don't see it really as a match, brain, and I kind of see the Hurt business. I would like to see the Hurt business reforming in the coming weeks, maybe after WrestleMania, but I see this as a way, you know, WWE might be telling the people that, you know, Bray Wyatt um, has been, you know, has, has ducked out, you know, Maybe that might be what's happening. I mean, he hasn't showed up on certain shows. I hopefully wish that's not a real-life situation and that he's having issues. But I would like to see a slow build, even past WrestleMania, to a Hurt Business and all of the the Wyatt Six, all of those characters from the Firefly Funhouse. When we saw Wyatt come back at Extreme Rules, we saw all the life-sized characters in the Funhouse. And maybe that would be a great way to uh, bring Bo Dallas back bring maybe an Eric Young back, a Dominic Dijakovic, all those performers to make him a part of the faction. I think that's when Wyatt was at his best, when he would let a faction and he led a group of guys to where they needed to go. And I think um, it doesn't necessarily have to happen at WrestleMania. If they pull the trigger after WrestleMania, that's fine. It's just it's a little bit disappointing that, um, that – Lashley and Wyatt they seem like two completely different performers and if they square off with each other I think Wyatt has to win the match um and it's a shame because Lashley's getting more and more popular but I mean if there was probably one match I'm least looking forward to seeing uh, it's probably that one unfortunately and I'm a big Bray Wyatt guy but such is life uh is, is there any match that maybe you know, we haven't talked about or a lot of people are talking about it in the match that not a lot of people are looking forward to that maybe you yourself are looking forward to. Um, it's interesting. I would say Lesnar and Omos in there. Um, just because they think awful highly of a guy. Whenever they put guys in certain situations, they view very high they view them very highly. And um I like uh, I like Lesnar and Omos. All right, well, I think that will do it uh, for this year's WrestleMania preview and for the show today. Me and Mike have talked about a lot. I do think, too, Mike, they're going to try to put on one of the most spectacular WrestleManias uh, that we've had because of the fact of the impending sale. And again, whether or not that's going to happen, whether it's going to Saudi, whatever we know. But I think you made a great point to me last time about, A, they're going to try to make this a special WrestleMania because they're going to want to appeal to as many people as possible. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great card, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. And it was very, very enjoyable. And I'm looking forward to a big mania weekend. That's for sure. Hopefully bigger than last year. A lot of fun. Last year's was great. I don't know how they're going to top it, but this card, certainly with the in-ring ability, I believe has the potential to do so if they do it right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, Mike. I want you to turn out your socials real quick. 
Uh, you can just go ahead and friend me on Facebook at Michael Reiner. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L Reiner, R-E-I, and as a Nancy E-R. And I write stories for WKBN in Youngstown, Ohio. I did a recent story on WWE's Austin Theory. Uh, so what I would do through Google searches, WKBN Austin Theory, and then you'll get a chance to read. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, so much. We appreciate it. As always, thank you for coming on Brand's Road at any time. And you're more than welcome to, man. Thank you, brother. Happy to be a part of Brandon's world. Yep. Thanks. And we will be back here on Thursday with my good friend, woman boy, we win media colleague, Josh Unger. We will get his thoughts on all things WrestleMania, NFL, free agency, and everything we talked about today with Michael. We are in collaboration with Voltage Live. We are sponsored by Spotify for Podcasters, formerly known as Anchor. You can follow me on Twitter at Real underscore B-World, and we'll see you guys then. Peace.